there's a, most of the science around photobiomodulation um, is specific to a very narrow window of wavelengths of light. And so um, and that, that narrow window is, is between about 600 and 900 nanometers. So visible red light and invisible near-infrared light. And that appears to be kind of the, the, the magic window where we uh, our bodies respond very favorably um, to, to those wavelengths of light. And, and the, the, the sort of the, the high-level kind of byproduct of that is um, uh, more energy. So our bodies re- produce more um, adenosine triphosphate or ATP energy as a response or in response to being exposed to these wavelengths of light that fall within that, that window. Welcome to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast, where natural healthcare practitioners can hear innovative, cutting-edge information from leading experts from around the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Metagenics Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rose. And before we get into our today's guest and topic, I just want to quickly touch upon the coronavirus pandemic that's unfolding at the moment. Um, obviously, the information is rapidly changing, but I just want to give you a quick update on what we're doing here at Metagenics with our education to keep everyone abreast on the topic. So last week we had to uh, cancel our live events, which include a current seminar and our next seminar, Seminar 2, and also our, unfortunately our, our live congress. So our Seminar 1 will be um, recorded digitally and it'll be up online very shortly. And likewise, Seminar 2 will um, now go to digital and that'll be up around about uh, June, July. Our Congress has been rescheduled. We'll let you know the dates as soon as we've got those locked in. So we're looking forward to picking up on cancer again. Um, in regards to COVID-19, we're going to do some regular digital updates on COVID-19, um, so maybe some weekly Facebook Live posts. We'll do some dedicated podcasts and perhaps some webinars. So stay tuned. There's going to be plenty of content on COVID-19. But um, as many will probably will be um, distancing themselves socially, there's plenty of time to listen to podcasts. So we still want to continue on with our regular content to um, continue learning and obviously to keep people occupied while we're going through this crisis. So with that said, today we're going to turn our attention to this interesting topic of photobiomodulation. And with me today from Southern California is the co-founder of a device manufacturer called Juve. Um, with me is Scott Nelson. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Nathan. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the conversation. My pleasure. So, yeah, this uh, topic of photobiomodulation really, um, pardon the pun, caught my eye because the the, the research is really extensive um, and there's a lot of information out there, but also a lot of variables when it comes to the devices. So I thought I'd um, get in contact with you to try and help us work through some of the um more recent uh, clinical research, but also getting a head around um, what it is and how it works. And if you, a p- practitioner or a patient wants to use this tool, um, what to look for in a device. So perhaps before we get into it, just give us a bit of a, a background on how you got into um, photobiomodulation. Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll try to keep this brief because I want to make sure that... Um... You know, we try to make this as educational for the listeners as, as possible. But uh, by way of background, I've spent most of my professional career in traditional med tech. Uh, so before uh, co-founding Juve, um, um, I was actually uh, working in at, at companies like uh, Covidian and Medtronic, primarily in the in the vascular space, the cardiovascular space, and really more specifically the peripheral vascular space. So dealing with products like. Um, 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 arterial stents and venous thrombectomy catheters and things like that. So uh, very familiar with the the, you know, the traditional world of, of med tech, um, but and but kind of really 
quite honestly, stumbled upon um, light, light therapy. And this was um, back in early 2015 when my wife and her sister uh, purchased a uh, red light therapy. I'm using air quotes here for the listeners, red light therapy package um, when we were living in Minneapolis. So uh, early kind of, it was in the, in the dearth of winter um, here in the, in, in the States, in, in the, the, the Northern part of the Midwest in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, they experienced, they, they went consistently to this, um, uh, to this uh, med spa, uh, for eight to 10 weeks, um, four to five times a week. So, so, um, you know, did, did a fair amount of treatments and, and really, really enjoyed it. Um, not only from a qualitative standpoint, but they, they saw some, some quantitative benefits as well, primarily, um, related to, to skin health and, and overall they just, they just felt, felt better. And again, uh, this is during a, a time of year when there's not a lot of sunlight, um, in that part of the country. And, um, at first, um, just like most people are when they kind of, um, start to learn about light therapy, I was super skeptical. I thought it was complete woo woo science, but, um, I did kind of what you did, Nathan is started digging into the research, um, the, the published peer reviewed research, uh, on, on PubMed and, uh, was quickly blown away by the sheer amount of, of, uh, scientific literature that supports, uh, light therapy, which is often referred to as photobiomodulation or low level, uh, laser therapy, um, in the world of academia. And so I, I was blown away um, and uh, was really, really impressed with the, the the science that supports it. But it was really difficult to find any sort of um, kind of easily digestible information online about, about light therapy. Um, it was pretty disparate at the time. Um, and then the products available on the market um, were either... Um, very small uh, devices or um, very underpowered devices. So um, nothing that could, there was nothing really available that could treat your, your, your entire body, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, your entire body in one um, sort of in, in one, you know, semi-short treatment session. And so there appeared to be a, a, a product, kind of a product gap um, in addition to an education gap. And so we thought, huh, maybe, maybe there's something here. And that's sort of what set us, set us down this, this path uh, in starting Juve. Thank you. All right, so let's find out about what um, light therapy is. As you mentioned, there's there's different names. There's um, LLLT, low-level laser therapy, photobiomodulation, red light therapy, light therapy. Um, so perhaps, first of all, describe the, the spectrum of, of light and the therapeutic window, I suppose, of some of these ones like red light and near-infrared light. Yeah, and, and the reason, one of the reasons, you know, there, there's so many different um, sort of acronyms or ways to describe this uh, this this modality is it's it's really still an emerging kind of field, um, even though you know practitioners have been using light in some form or fashion for you know for arguably hundreds of years. Um, this world of photobiomodulation is still relatively new and and is and is still you know widely considered kind of a, a niche, a very a very small niche or subspecialty within within traditional medicine. Um, but certainly emerging, certainly growing for sure, especially over the past you know few years in terms of the the, the number of of published uh, uh, published scientific manuscripts um, that speak to you know certain wavelengths of light. But if if we were to step step back, the way I usually like to kind of help people begin to kind of wrap their heads around light therapy is that it's it's um, it's sort of similar to um, uh, food, how our bodies metabolize food. We all understand, or most people probably listening um, to this conversation understand that our bodies um, respond differently to different macro uh, nutrients, right? So whether we eat a, um, a, a protein versus a carb versus a fat, our bodies digest um, and respond to those in different, in different ways, and especially at different times of day. Um, as an example, if, uh, if, I, you know, if we eat high glycemic carbohydrates at night and, and um, you know, the, 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 the 
sort of the negative ramification that ramification of that is a spike in insulin levels. That's really not a great recipe for success. Well, that, that concept of, um, of our bodies responding and metabolizing food is, is kind of similar to how our bodies respond to light, different wavelengths of light. Um, as an example, when we, um, when the sun rises and, and throughout really the, the day, um, there's, you know, there's a lot of white and blue light, which serves as a signal to our bodies that we should be awake and alert. Um, where um, as the sun begins to to set, as an example, there's an overabundance of red and near infrared light, um, which is um, um, sort of really serves as a signal uh, to our bodies uh, that we should begin to prepare prepare for sleep. Um, and so at a, at a high level, our body just I think help, helping um, kind of starting there, starting with like that basic kind of foundation that our bodies respond to different wavelengths of light and um, in, in different ways. I think sort of sort of helps. And um, if we were to go a little bit deeper. Um, more specifically, um, there's a, most of the science around photobiomodulation um, is specific to a very narrow window of wavelengths of light, and so um, and that that narrow window is is between about 600 and 900 nanometers, so visible red light and invisible near infrared light, and that appears to be kind of the the, the magic window where we uh, our bodies respond very favorably um, to to those wavelengths of light and and the 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 sort of the, the high level kind of byproduct of that is, um, uh, more energy. So our bodies re- produce more, um, adenosine triphosphate or ATP energy as a response or in response to being exposed to these wavelengths of light that fall within that, that window. Yeah. So with the, um, energy, it's a good segue. There these concepts of chromophores, um, as I understand it, where, like, a, a, I suppose a, a vitamin or a mineral like magnesium will, will fit into, say, a coenzyme to activate it. I sort of see an, an, a similarity there with the chromophores. There's um, constituents in our body which actually absorb certain um, spectrums of light. So what does the science say around the, the red and near-infrared light um, in interacting with chromophores? Yeah, yeah, that that's one of the, the probably the most well well known or well understood mechanisms of, of action, and there's probably a couple others that um, that are sort of emerging, and we, and we don't know as much about. Um, but but yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the the next question I think most people have would be like that. This seems kind of interesting that our bodies would actually respond very favorably to certain you know colors of light. Like, what's actually going on here? You know, how are our bodies able to to sort of harness that this energy and and produce energy or harness this energy and 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 um and produce ATP as a result? And one of those those mechanisms that most photobiomodulation or photomedicine researchers would would probably point to is is that one, right? Our, we have certain chromophores. Um, that at during cellular respiration respond to these wavelengths of light in a positive way. Um, one of those being cytochrome C oxidase, which plays a, a pretty important role during the fourth phase of cellular respiration. And um, that that cytochrome C or CCO is is the acronym that's that's often used as well. Um, does resonate really well with uh, with visible red light and um, invisible near infrared light, and um, because it resonates. Um, very well with those wavelengths of light, it's actually freed up um, um, from negative or from from um, overexposure to re- certain reactive oxygen species during during um, ox- th- during that fourth phase of cellular respiration. And so, in essence, you know, cytochrome C, C oxidase is able to kind of is freed up uh, when exposed to these wavelengths of light to kind of do its thing, so to speak, um, which which leads to a more efficient cellular respiration. Um, 
and so that that's probably one of the most well-known uh, mechanisms of action. And that's kind of referred to as kind of the in- intracellular um, mechanism. But there's also some really interesting evidence. And, you know, if we have the chance, we can we can get into this at least at, at a high level is, is yeah. that the mechanisms that are, are, are at play kind of across the cellular membrane, as well as the extracellular mechanisms as well, which aren't well, aren't as well understood. But um, based on, you know, recent published peer reviewed literature uh, appear to be um kind of uh, appear to have you know, hold, hold some weight in terms of in terms of this idea that there's probably other um, other things at play beyond sort of this this chroma chromophore um, um, aspect of uh, when it comes to um, how how light therapy is, is is working within our bodies interesting so yeah could you maybe just touch upon like the membrane and the extracellular mechanisms or the, the yeah. theories behind it yeah, yeah. One of those would be um, um, the ability to stimulate uh, uh, a cytokine called TGF beta, um, mm-hmm. which is really, really important um, for immune, our immune system response, which is it's kind of interesting, you know, considering the, the COVID-19. And I, I don't want to, I'm certainly not making any claims that light mm. therapy is, <laughs> is, a, is a modality that somehow, you know, treats someone that's suffering from that, from that disease. But there is pretty strong evidence that um, you, and there, there has been actually for quite some time that, that red and near infrared light um, do produce a, um, or do help your immune system respond from uh, kind of an M1 phenotype to an M2 phenotype, um, which, you know, in essence means your immune system stronger. Um, but the underlying rationale as to why that's happening hasn't, hasn't been well understood. Um, but Dr. Praveen Arani, who's actually the, 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 the worldwide president, the current worldwide president of, of Walt, which is the... Um, uh, the uh, the Worldwide Association of Light Therapy um, in hi- in his lab he's um, he's been able to demonstrate he has, has published some of this work has been able to demonstrate that 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 kind of that immune system boost or response may be because of this uh, red and near infrared light's uh, ability to to sort of upregulate or stimulate TGF one beta which is that kind of important important cytokine. Um, so that, that's one, that's kind of one, one emerging, um, you know, mechanism of, of action. Um, and then there appears to be, which, um, I, I probably can't speak to at a, at a, at a pretty deep level, but there's this, this, um, uh, this, um, kind of mechanism that happens across, um, our cellular membrane with respect to, uh, certain opsins, um, that, that respond very favorably when exposed to these wavelengths of light as well. And I don't think there's probably... Um, sim- similar to kind of the, 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 the TGF one beta, uh, mechanism, there's some emerging kind of literature that supports, um, sort of the, uh, the research around this opsin theory, but long story short, I think for most people that are, that are new to light therapy, um, I think it's probably, it's, it's, it's probably best, the best, the best place to leave this here is that there are, there are, there are some mechanisms of, of action, um, that are, that are, you know, semi well understood, but there's a lot more emerging mechanisms that we're learning about. And the reality is probably there's, there's probably several different things or synergies at play here, um, at a, at a biological level when our, uh, when, when we're exposed to these kind of healthy wavelengths of light. Thank you. All right. And a lot of interest has been around, uh, neurological function and it, they, it may work in part because, of the, as you mentioned, like the, the mitochondria and reducing inflammation, maybe oxidative stress, et cetera. What's some of the more, I suppose, organ-specific effects they've, they've uh, proposed that's occurring with photobiomodulation in, in the brain? Yeah, the, the, the kind of the cognitive function or, or brain health, if you, wanted, if you want to call it that, it's kind of definitely one of these um, these newer categories that we've seen sort of a a, a fair amount of, of, of focus and, and and literature around, and some of it's related to to, to the fact that a lot of these conditions that um, um, are are 
you know, derive from, you know, some type of brain injury, right? Like Alzheimer's or dementia, as an example, they're just really, really hard to treat. And so um, the fact that light therapy appears to show some promise um, in these arenas is probably leading to, to, to more and more, um, more and more um, uh, research and, cl and clinical work in these areas. But um, I, I mean, I, I preface this saying that like none of our devices here, here at Juve are, are approved by regulatory yeah. bodies to treat any of these conditions. But the research is, uh, is interesting um, nonetheless. And, and one of the conditions that I, I just mentioned, Alzheimer's and dementia, it, it, it appears that um, um, it, light delivered either um, uh, intranasally so in your nose, um, or transcranially. So basically just, you know, through, through the skull, um, appears to, you know, kind of have some, some really interesting effects, not just in terms of reducing symptoms of Alzheimer's, but also like stimulating, you know, synaptogenesis or the formation of new, of new brain synapses, um, even. So there, there's a lot of really interesting research around, you know, certain conditions like hard to treat conditions like Alzheimer's, but also, you know, um, other, other interesting areas related to, uh, uh, CTI or, or TBIs, uh, traumatic brain injuries, um, and reducing, um, some of, some of the symptoms from, from those types of, those types of injuries all the way to like more kind of what I I'm using air quotes again, aesthetic benefits around cognitive function. Um, for example, you know, enhanced memory, um, and faster reaction times, improved executive function, et cetera. So there's some really interesting, uh, research over the past, you know, two to three years that really showcase some of these, some of these benefits when it comes to, light therapy. And most of the, most of the time it's, um, near infrared light, um, that's being used in a lot of this clinical research, primarily because near infrared light ha does have a unique ability to penetrate further into our bodies. In fact, it does penetrate through bone. Um, the energy dissipates quite a bit as it travels through bone. Um, but that's kind of one of the, the main differences between near infrared light and, and, and visible red light. Yeah, and traveling through bone may have some therapeutic effects as well, in particular with the skull. Is it like because of the say, bone marrow, it's more like stem cells, et cetera? Um, is there some benefit there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, um, the, the sh because our stem cells um, have so many mi mitochondria, um, that's kind of one of the, the you know, sort of the, the theories as to why um, you get a lot of synergistic or maybe an enhanced synergistic benefit um, with stem cells is because they have an overabundance of, of, of mitochondria, which, you know, respond really, really well in the presence of, of red and near infrared light. Um, or they, they function, I guess, at a, at a heightened level, um, is maybe the, the better way to describe that in the presence of red and near infrared light. Um, but yeah, in terms of, you know, how, you know, what, 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 what's happening, it's, it's, um, I don't want to simplify things too much because again, some of these mechanisms aren't, um, aren't as well understood, but, um, most of the cells in, in our, in our body, um, you know, have, have mitochondria, which is well, which is where, you know, as, as most of us, uh, know, um, cellular respiration occurs and, um, you know, whether it's, you know, brain tissue or muscle tissue, if we're able to stimulate our mitochondria to function better or more efficiently, and the byproduct of that is increased ATP energy, it would, that if, if you kind of believe in that theory, um, that that's sort of why you get such wide ranging benefits from, you know, these types of wavelengths of light is because of that core kind of fundamental mechanism of action, whether it's, you know, brain function or whether it's, you know, faster, you know, faster muscle recovery, um, et cetera. It's, it's all because of that kind of that core foundation, um, foundational mechanism of action that that's happening. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. 
All right, so let's have a look at some of the, the clinical studies now. Uh, as I said, yeah, I started scratching the surface and was um, pleasantly surprised on how many uh, clinical trials there are. Some are okay studies, some are randomized clinical trials, um, some are at the level of meta-analysis now, which is fantastic. And I, I wanted to narrow down on conditions that um, healthcare practitioners often treat, um, also ones that can be sometimes pretty resistant to treatment or pretty serious and complex cases. And I was just, yeah, really um, pleasantly surprised that such a generic, if you want to call that simple, and, and we'll get to like if there are any side effects, but relatively seemingly side effect free um, therapy um, had such broad spectrum and sometimes quite profound benefits. Um, and, you know, this has got applications in the future, perhaps to, for the patient to do at home as well. So it's like it's ticking a lot of boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that really struck me were the uh, like the mood disorders, the cog- cognition, uh, neurological, and we're going to other ones like fatigue and pain, inflammation, et cetera. So, um, yeah, we'll just quickly go through a couple of studies and anything that sort of you know, really stood out to you if you want to um, underscore that. So with the neuropsychiatric, I, there was a couple studies on depression and anxiety um, more mm-hmm. recently. Um, what struck you about these studies? Yeah, that, that, uh, yeah most of that work um, was was conducted by Dr. Uh, Cassano, um, um, who's, a, who's a, you know, a, a pretty well-established uh, photomedicine researcher um, in the, uh, in the, in the North, Northeast part of the, the, the country here in the, in the U S um, really, really, really great guy. Very, very, um, very, in, um, in, intelligent when it comes to, comes to this arena. I think, you know, what, what's interesting about like the ability of, um, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the promising research in this category is that, um, most people, when they think of using light to enhance, um, kind of, uh, depressive related symptoms, think of like, uh, a happy lamp. And I'm not sure if, if you're familiar with that, that term, um, there in Australia, but it's, it's these kind of these bot, these sort of light boxes that, that, um, produce bright white light, um, to sort of mimic, you know, mimic the sun. Yeah. And there, there is some interesting, you know, there, I, I would say it's, it's, it's not a, a, certainly not a robust amount of evidence, but there is some decent evidence that suggests those can work just as well as, as medications for, uh, for certain types of, uh, uh, of depression. But the the thing with 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 that type of of therapy is that unless you're using it during the day, you, you typically don't want to be exposed to bright white light um, like that mm. in, in in the evenings once the sun sets. I mean that's very disruptive to to your circadian rhythm. So, um, yet yes they can work, but you've definitely got to be cognizant about around which which time of day you use them. And I I would argue that as as the evidence continues to um, uh, to come out with respect to the use of red and and maybe more specifically near infrared light for depressive slash mental health sort of arenas, you just get more bang for your buck when it comes to red and near infrared light. Um, if 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 we can effectively showcase that it's just as good as kind of a, a happy lamp, so to speak, you also get such a, all kinds of like other benefits as well to using this type of uh, of therapy. Even even you know even if you're using a smaller device for you know for your head. Um, you'll, you'll reap the skin benefits that come from, um, from, from red light. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I'm re- referring to. So it's, it's, it's cool to see, um, you know, clinical work. Um, I think that particular study was referred to as the elated, uh, two trial. Um, really cool to, really cool to see. I see, I think, I think we're still very much in our early days with respect to understanding, um, the impact of red and near infrared light on, on these kind of psychiatric slash depressive types of types of conditions. But it, it definitely seems promising. In fact, we're um, we're recording this now, and we, we've actually we have an ongoing um, 
um, uh, we're not we're, we've stopped enrollment because we we uh, enrolled uh, participants a lot faster than we expected. But in a in kind of a not as robust of a of a, of a study as the related two trial, uh, but we're actually studying mental mental health with uh, with our devices. Um, as, uh, you know, right now as, as, as we're recording this. So, um, yeah, we, we, we hope to continue to add to the to kind of the body of evidence that, that suggests that red and near infrared light, red and, and near infrared light work for this, uh, for these types of, of, of conditions. Yeah. Wow. I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Uh, yeah. So just to summarize it from a quick look at the depression study, there was half of the patients went into remission after, um, eight weeks of therapy twice a week, a recent one on anxiety, again, just a small pilot trial, but, um, reduction anxiety, improve improve sleep, and these ones with it, where it was just a, a as I just but a um, transcranial to the head, so like a yeah, the not the intranasal um, method. All right, yep. now um, and just on just just one, one more yep. yeah, one more quick point on that, Nathan. Um, Doctor Michael Hamlin, who's um, uh, he's yes. kind of a, you know kind of a kind of a godfather, yeah. so to speak, you know, within this the, the world of, of photobiomodulation. Um, uh, Harvard professor ran his own lab uh, for quite some time. You know that that's one of his favorite favorite uses for for the device is actually um, at night if he if he either before bed or if he's if he's struggling um, you know falling to sleep he'll shine a you know a, a near infrared light device right on his forehead uh, and he swears by it. Um, yeah. You know sleeps you know claims to kind of sleep sleep like a baby you know using <laughs> using it for that for those types of purposes. But I think uh, I think the evidence would would suggest that whether you know, he's not obviously specifically using it for uh, depressive symptoms per se, but the um, the ability for this for this light to um, to benefit kind of our, our overall cognitive you know function, um, whether it's you know better sleep or whether it's you know reducing symptoms of anxiety. You know, I think uh, I think e- either way, you're you know it's it's, it's uh, there's a lot of upside you know to uh, to this type of uh, therapy when it comes to kind of overall brain health. Absolutely. All right, so still in the brain, let's look at like more cognition, neurological, and we've got uh, sort of both ends of the spectrum in terms of ages and then also with um, stresses like traumatic brain injury. But I think there was a, a recent study on autism that really um, jumped out at me because, as we know, the condition is a complex condition. Um, that there's been emerging therapies like fecal microbiome transplantation, et cetera, which are yielding um, in small pilot trials amazing results. But that's a pretty arduous uh, protocol to follow. Um, and as again, like photobiomodulation is as simple as um, shining light on the base of a skull uh, showed some results. So can you explain uh, what happened in this study? Yeah, th- this one actually, um, I, before you sent it over, I, I haven't, um, I, I had never seen it actually. Um, so, so I'm, so it, it's, it's, it's pretty new to me. And the, the biggest, the biggest thing that, that I walk away with is, um, is um one it, it, the, the 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 amount of like uh um the results based on the relatively um low number of treatments over a, a, a pretty short amount of time is pretty pretty fascinating considering you know autism is one of those one of those conditions that there aren't really a lot of good you know solid modalities that that you feel comfortable um with with you with utilizing um the other thing too is it, it actually lines up fairly well with kind of anecdotal feedback we've received from customers who have, who have used, um, used our devices, um, for, you know, either, either kids or family members or friends that, that suffer from some, some form of autism. 
So um, really interesting. Again, I, I, I didn't seen this study actually um, before you sent it over, but, um, but it, it, it does, it does, like I said, align, align, uh, uh, you know, well with, uh, with a lot of the feedback that we, we received over the past couple of years. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. It was only a small trial. I think it was in Israel or Iran, I think. And, uh, but what yeah jumped out at me was the 86% response rate and 81% of the patients, uh, they ranked their autism severity and they were either severe or um, extremely severe. They went down to mild to moderate. So massive clinical improvements. Yeah. Um, I, I- I don't, I, I, when I looked at it initially, when you sent it over, I think, I think it was only over four weeks, wasn't it? And maybe that I think like twice yeah. a week treatment, something like that. So yeah, again, not a, you know, it's not, it wasn't like overly burdensome. It's not like they were using the devices, you know, every, every single day for long periods of time over, you know, 12 weeks. It was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty short. And the, the results were pretty, um, pretty compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah. I'm curious to watch your space, but I'm glad to hear you getting those anecdotal feedbacks as well from, um, you know, users. All right, so now uh, more, I suppose, um, structural issues like traumatic brain injury from concussions and trauma and then Alzheimer's disease. What's the emerging research say on these um, conditions? Yeah, m- most of this research, um, or at least the, the studies that I'm, I'm most familiar with, are, are still relatively new. I mean, within the past probably two to three years, you know, we've seen actually a, a, a pretty healthy amount of, um, of research in this in this category. And I think the biggest thing that stands out beyond what we kind of already addressed in terms of like what's actually happening at a, at a, at a sort of uh, mechanistic level is, um, is these issues, right? TBIs or, uh, or, or CTIs, um, extremely difficult to treat. If, I mean, if, if you even want to like call any of the existing <laughs> modalities treatments, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. really, really significant conditions. So to see, um, even though, you know, arguably we're still pretty early and there, there's definitely um, room for um, a lot more clinical research in this area, it's really, really compelling to see the results so far um, because these, these types of conditions are so, are so hard to treat. In fact, we have um, a lot of NFL football players here in the States using our devices um, prophylactically um, ah. you know, because they, they know full well they've suffered from um, from conti- from con- uh, con- uh, concussions in the past, or some type of you know brain related injury, um, and so they're using it, even though they may not like have specific symptoms, they're they're using it prophylactically, knowing that you know there's you know there's <laughs> the evidence would suggest that um, you know year, years down the road they you know this this may be something that they you know they um, they're challenged with. So um, really really interesting and um, definitely something that um, appears to be dose dependent as well. Um, which is, you know, we haven't really got into that and, and maybe we can address later yeah. on in the conversation, but it does appear for some of these, uh, some of these conditions, you know, TBIs being one of them that, that dose does, does matter. Um, people respond, um, with these conditions, um, to different types of doses. And I think that's probably one of the, the more interesting things that, um, I think will be exciting to learn about is like, what, what is the most efficacious dose when it comes to, you know, some of these brain related disorders. Absolutely, and we'll get to it shortly. All right, um, let's move to more global things. Um, and I imagine this is where you get a lot of users for like pain, inflammation, fatigue. Mm-hmm. There's been a couple sort of smaller studies on fibromyalgia and even a couple case studies on golf war illness, um, which really jumped out at me. Again, small studies, but uh, good sort of proof of concept. So um, I suppose two parts. What um, do you see coming? the signal coming from the literature and then also, what sort of benefits and um, feedback you're getting from your customers in this area? Yeah, I mean, p- pain and inflammation is is probably one of the more well understood benefit categories that that um, uh, that come from 
that, that comes, you know, that, that that's specific to, to light therapy. Um, t- a, a robust amount of, of, of published literature with respect to, um, uh, pain and, and, and inflammation. And we kind of touched on sort of the, the immune enhancing, immune enhancing benefits that come with light therapy. And I suspect that's one of the, the major reasons why you do see, you know, reductions in inflammation and pain. Um, but also the, you know, the, the enhanced circulation, um, that you, you know, that, that, that most people that's demonstrated, you know, with, with, uh, the use of red and near infrared light, um, is, is another kind of, um, underlying, kind of mechanism that's that's at play uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, recovering from, you know, whether it's chronic pain or, you know, acute, acute inflammation from, from, a uh, from an injury. And so, yeah, this is, this is definitely one of the, the more well understood, uh, uh, benefit, benefit category categories. And it certainly aligns with a lot of the feedback that we receive from customers, uh, um, as well. In fact, some of them amazingly receive, see, uh, responses, you know, after one to two treatments, you know, wow. they're in such, they're in such, um, uh, you know, they've, they've experienced, you know, and, and, and the story kind of goes something like this, you know, they've tried just about everything. Right. And, you know, some, some treatments or some modalities they've seen success with uh, on a, on a mild level and, you know, others just plain haven't worked. And so they're kind of on their, you know, they're, they're at their wits end and they, they're willing to try, you know, something pretty non-invasively like light therapy. And, you know, they see pretty, pretty dramatic results. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that's the case for everyone, but um, that's a, that's a pretty common feedback, feedback, feedback loop that, that we hear about. So yeah, pain and inflammation, definitely one of those, those benefit categories that's um, not only supported by a robust amount of science, but, but pretty well understood too. Okay. Now let's move on to cancer. And I believe you've published with the the great Dr. Hamling on this one (laughs) um, as a a bit of a, a review and again, this really strikes me um, not only for symptomatic relief or maybe prevention of mucositis, but the suggestions about even improving efficacy of chemo and helping with pain, et cetera. So what, what's um, motivated you to, to publish on this in the first place and then give us an outline of what you found? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually, I mean, I, I'd like to take credit for, for being proactive about this, but it's actually something that Dr. Hamlin approached us with is, um, you know, the need within the kind of the broader photobiomodulation community to, to uh, produce more or, or, or publish more, more literature with respect to its effects on, um, on either cancer itself or, you know, uh, common side effects of, of, of cancer treatments, you know, i.e. chemo and radiation. And so he approached us about publishing something like this because the one sort of, um, kind of, um, if, if you were to poke holes in, in, with the use of light therapy, uh, for anything cancer related, it would be the, um, kind of the, the underlying mechanism, um, in a healthy individual is that you're, you're able to get cells to, um, to work better, to work more efficiently, right. uh, to produce more energy. So if you apply that same kind of theory to a cancerous cell, the fear would be that it would actually grow, right? A tumor cell would actually, would actually get larger. And that's been kind of the, the one kind of, um, kind of fear around using light therapy for, um, for people that are suffering from cancer. And I'm not going to, I don't want to, um, underappreciate that in the least bit because, you know, cancer is a, is obviously a, a very sensitive, um, topic, but you know, if you, if you were to read that, that, that meta analysis that we published with Dr. Hamlin, which is available for free on, on, on our site, um, when you, when you actually do a deep dive with the, uh, with the existing published literature, it, it's, it's really, really compelling. And, you know, he suggests in the paper that, this underlying fear around causing tumor growth is kind of unfounded, really. Um, in fact, um, you know, he he would he would suggest that this should become a kind of a um, 
an additional modality that anyone on chemo and, on chemo and, and radiation should, should use to help further enhance their immune system to naturally kind of uh, reduce the, the downside ramifications of those, those treatments, but also to help, you know, help their body, you know, kind of recover as well and, and fight off um, some of these um, dysfunctional, uh, this dysfunctional activity at a cellular level. And so, yeah. So, I mean, it, cancer is definitely one of those, those interesting topics, but, um, there's a lot of, a lot of really interesting research kind of similar to, to brain, fun brain function or cognitive mm -hmm. function that we discussed earlier. There's a lot of, um, of ongoing research, especially around oral mucositis. In fact, there's a couple, um, oral mucositis for, for, for those that aren't familiar is very common side effect of, of chemo and radiation, um, very prevalent, especially with, um, head and neck, uh, cancer. And so, um, what it is, it's like, um, it can be, it can get so severe that it, it basically, um, it becomes hard to, to swallow anything, whether, whether it's food or even water, um, as an example. Um, so it's, uh, it's like an irritation in your, in your mouth and, um, that can actually, um, occur in your esophagus as well. So, um, the, the, what, what ends up happening in, in with severe grades of oral mucositis is, is those, those patients have a, they maybe have to be intubated because they, they can't eat or swallow anything. Um, and so as you can imagine, someone that's already, you know, um, their, their body is already, already, already pretty, pretty worn down, you know, from, from cancer, from chemo and radiation, and then not being able to kind of refuel itself. That can be a, a recipe for, uh, for, um, for disaster, um, so, so to speak. And so, um, the, the interesting thing is that there's, there's actually, I think upwards of probably 20 to 30 plus papers, um, that really showcase the, the healing benefits um, uh, that come with red and near infrared light therapy for, for treating oral mucositis. So it, 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 it's pretty apparent that, that this is a great modality for anyone, um, um, that is suffering from oral mucositis, but it also, um, there's also a lot of evidence that suggests it should be used uh, proactively too, to prevent oral mucositis, which I think is probably one of the more yeah, interesting, right. interesting aspects of, of this research. Um, and then in addition to, um, kind of oral mucositis, there's, there's also some really, really nice papers, um, that suggest, you know, that the, the immune enhancing benefits that come with light therapy, um, are, are hugely beneficial for anyone suffering from cancer. Cause at the end of the day, that's, you know, you need a healthy immune system to kind of ward off, um, some of these, uh, some of these, um, dysfunctional, you know, cell types. So, um, really interesting research. And I guess the only other thing that I would add is, is, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, giving credit back to Dr. Praveen Arani, who I mentioned earlier in his lab, he's actually been able to showcase some, some really interesting results, um, when it comes to cancer, uh, cells and that, um, in the presence of red and near infrared light, um, you, you actually, um, can't, a, a dysfunctional cell actually experiences autophagy or apoptosis. Um, whereas a healthy cell, um, does the opposite, right? It will function even better. It will produce more energy. And yeah. so, um, it's, it's basically the exact effect that you'd want to have, right? A dysfunctional cell, a cancerous cell dies in the presence of these wavelengths of light, whereas a healthy cell or, a, an otherwise healthy cell actually functions better. And so, um, that's again, very, very early, but his, his lab has produced some, some of these, uh, has demonstrated some of these results. So, um, again, o overall, my overall kind of take on this is that, yeah, the evidence is, um, some of the evidence around oral mucositis is really, really strong. Um, and then some of the other kind of, um, um, kind of, um, newer, um, or, or more recent literature that's been published is, is really compelling for some of these other kind of aspects of, of cancer too. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, I think photobiomodulation is now recommended, isn't it, for the prevention of um, 
Oh, yeah. 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 In fact, there was a, a couple, couple uh, oncology societies in, I believe, late last summer, early last fall. So kind of late summer, early fall of 2019 um, that actually changed their guidelines um, based on the existing literature to now suggest um, using this um, for the prevention of, of oral mucositis. So um, yeah, those, that's, that's cool to see, like, you know, mm. pretty, pretty, pretty good sized oncology societies, you know, now, now incorporating light therapy into their, into their guidelines for not just treatment, but, but, uh, prevention. Yeah. And with the mucositis, is that like a, a torch that they shine directly in the mouth rather than like the, the big panel they stand in front of or? Yeah, you, you, you got it. Yeah. Most of the, most of the, uh, existing literature is, is using, um, um, like basically like laser, laser probes, um, that are able to be d- delivered, uh, intraorally. Um, and that, I, I would say that's, that's definitely probably the, 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 the best way to deliver that type of therapy. However, um, you know, it, 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 and I'm not saying you use our device, our, our device specifically for this per se, but being able to deliver the therapy extra orally could have some really interesting um, ramifications because it's just, it's that much easier to use. You know, most of these studies around yeah. oral mucositis, the patients were having, you know, we're having to go to a clinic um, to, uh, to use this, you know, these, these types of treatments. Um, and so that's, that's one of the, kind of the, the, the positives around, um, you know, using more simple led based devices is that not only there are they easier to use, but, um, they, uh, you know, most of them can be used at home too. And so, so yeah, so, um, it, it, this is kind of a, a, definitely an emerging kind of interesting space, but, um, I think, um, anyone that's on, you know, anyone that's either suffering from cancer or on chemo and radiation, um, I, I would highly encourage you to look at the published research around red and near infrared light because it's um it's really it's really compelling um regarding you know the 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 treatment and prevention of of mucositis. Yeah, and I, I wonder this is hypothetically about um if the 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 light affects mitochondrial function and and cancers and well known or majority of them to have this sort of Warburg effect where they they're burning glucose into um, lactic acid rather than into the mitochondria whether. Um, as the research has shown that it doesn't seem to worsen cancers. And I think the animal models show that it improves like outcomes, et cetera. Mm. Perhaps in the future, we'll see that maybe um, direct application of red light to say like a breast cancer or a melanoma might actually have some benefit. Curious yeah. to see in the future. <laughs> yep, totally. Yep. And I, th- I think, you know, based, I mean, again, kind of based on existing sort of uh, theories or, or hypotheses, it, it, it seems to have, have some legs. Um, you know, in fact, we're actually going to likely kickstart some some research with a another um, another a, a professor at um, at a, another university here in the states um, around around you know studying kind of some some mitochondrial uh, un- uncoupling, um, and he he recently uh, presented at the um, um, oh Dom Diagostano's conference here in Southern oh, California. Yeah. The, the name is escaping me right now, but um, but yeah, so I, th- I think there's just like the, the, the center, the, the mechanistic synergies with, with light therapy at a mitochondria level, I think we'll just continue to learn a lot more about over the, over the coming years. Okay. So we've covered some of the main areas. Is there any other clinical conditions from the research or, um, the feedback you're getting that you want to just touch upon that, you know, things worth, worth mentioning now? Um, yeah, I think you know, two of the other, um, I, I mentioned, you know, pain and inflammation being one of those bene- benefit categories that's supported by uh, a lot of, of science, of, of peer reviewed literature. Um, the other two that I'd probably point to are, 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 um, skin health, which is a little bit more aesthetic in nature, but that's, it's really, really quite clear that, yeah. um, you know, some consistent exposure to red light therapy produces some, um, 
some really nice skin health related benefits. And then the other one beyond skin health and kind of pain and inflammation would be muscle recovery. Uh, again, right. supported by a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, peer reviewed, uh, published, uh, science, um, that, that, you know, clearly documents that, um, our, our muscles respond, um, and recover faster, um, when, 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 uh, um, when exposed to, to red and near infrared light, most of the time it's near infrared light, just because again, it, of its ability to penetrate deeper into our body. So, um, those three kind of, you know, broader kind of buckets, you know, categories, so benefit categories, so to speak, are, are probably the, um, um, I don't, I don't want to say well understood, but are, are like, are so compelling that it's hard to ignore. Um, yeah. but, but some of the other kind of more interesting kind of, um, emerging areas beyond what we've already covered, right. Beyond cancer, beyond kind of, you know, cognitive function would be, um, I think weight management is, is interesting. Um, a little bit more dynamic because, you know, as you, as you know, Nathan, there's, there's, there's so much that goes into, um, <laughs> you know, lo- lo- losing weight or losing fat. Um, but also, um, what I'm kind of personally interested in, 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 in seeing more of is, um, is the, the implications of red and near infrared light on, on, uh, blood glucose control. Um, there's already some interesting evidence, um, that I think is mostly relegated to mammals. Um, but, but shows some, some promise in, in the ability of red, red and near infrared light to sort of, um, you know, help regulate or manage insulin levels. And so, you know, the, the, obviously the obvious impact being on, you know, type one and type two, type two diabetes, probably more so the, the latter in type two diabetes is, you know, could be really interesting to see if, if, uh, if, and, um, at what dosages, you know, red and near infrared light has the most, has the most impact when it comes to that, that area. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about all this, including that. Um, so by this stage, people might be thinking this is amazing, a panacea, which, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the literature is pretty robust um, and they want to go out and get a device. Um, but if you hop online and start Googling, you can be quite overwhelmed with um, all the specs and size and um, bandwidth, et cetera. So I want to spend a bit of time looking at... Um, you know, what are the crucial things to look for in a device? You mentioned um, earlier some of those studies were, were, were perhaps underpowered. As, um, but, yeah, for those that are not familiar with all this um, scientific terminology around wavelengths and power, how can we sort of navigate through this area? So what's some of the things we should be looking for? Yeah, and, and I, I'll preface this with, like, most of my, most of my you know, my comments or my, um, you know, my answers are, are, respect, are with respect to kind of our, our, our devices, which we've really positioned more kind of for general wellness purposes. You know, yeah. we don't, we don't, you know, claim to say, you know, we don't, we don't claim to, um, we, we're not making claims that you should buy, you know, a, a big, a big light panel, you know, to, uh, you know, to treat a certain brain condition as an example. It's, it's really more, we, we very much have, position and, and really believe that that light is one of those um, excuse me excuse me is one of those underappreciated aspects to overall health um, I'm not I'm not going to diminish some you know some it's a, its potential ability to treat some of these other you know more serious um, what I consider more serious health conditions but it is definitely an underappreciated in my opinion an underappreciated aspect to overall health and should be viewed kind of within the context of you know food and sleep and you know training and fitness is, is really Absolutely. our exposure our, our exposure to um, uh, to you know, different wavelengths of light. And so, um, when it comes to, you know, choosing, choosing a device, you know, one of the, one of the, the criticisms around the existing light therapy research is despite the fact that there's a lot of it, you know, upwards of, you know, 3000 pu- plus, uh, published manuscripts on, on, on photobiomodulation, the, um, the devices used, uh, the power dosages delivered to various tissue types is really disparate. And so it's hard to, um, 
you know, kind of the, the end result of that is it's hard, it's hard to um, offer up definitive mm. um, guidelines around certain conditions. Right. And so um, I'll, I'll, you know, for the purposes of this conversation, I'll probably stay away from that and kind of speak to this at a, at a more high level. And so when it comes to like, you know, choosing a device kind of for more general wellness or, or to kind of, you know, fit into more of your, uh, more of a healthy lifestyle, um, one, the, the most, one of the more important aspects would be, you know, which, which wavelengths are delivered from the device. So make sure it delivers, you know, clinically, um, clinically proven wavelengths, namely those that fall in the visible red spectrum, kind of in the low to mid 600 nanometers, um, or, and, or, uh, those, uh, wavelengths that fall in the, um, the near infrared spectrum, uh, more specifically the low to mid 800 nanometers. So that's visible red light, again, visible red light in the low to six, um, the low to mid 600 nanometer range, and then near infrared light in the low to mid 800 nanometer range. And th- those two kind of very narrow ranges have, have uh, been proven time and time again in all of this clinical uh, literature to produce some, some pretty favorable responses. So I'd, I'd say that's number one. And then number two is, is really to, um, to understand the type of power that's delivered from the device. So not, not the wattage that device yeah, consu- yeah. that the device consumes, um, that's often where, you know, some people kind of get it mixed up because they, yeah. they're thinking about, you know, the, the watts that a light bulb consumes, you know, that you plug in or that you, you know, screw into a socket. Um, this is a little bit, light therapy is a little bit differently in that, in that you really want to pay attention to um, the power that's delivered from a device. And this can get a little bit confusing because um, historically most researchers um, use metrics like um, irradiance. Um, or milliwatts per centimeter squared, you know, in terms of you know how to effectively measure uh, power that that's um, 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 delivered from a device. And I'm not going to say that that's a wrong approach per se, um, but the, the really the, the the better the better approach from our perspective. And you know, I, I think you know someone like Dr. Hamlin, who we referenced before, would would agree with this. And you know, we have we actually have an an, uh, an article published. With him, where he speaks to this in, in more detail, but the more accurate number to look at is actually joules of energy delivered from the device. And so, um, our our devices deliver, you know, depending on kind of where exactly you're, you've got them positioned, deliver about you know twenty to thirty joules of energy per centimeter squared. And that that's probably the more accurate number to to look for. Um, and we've got an article, a pretty helpful article that helps you, you know, come up with that calculation when you're when you're looking at you know. Um, uh, devices um, and and kind of the energy that they deliver, but that's probably the more important thing to consider is is you know the the number or the amount of joules of energy that's delivered uh, from the device. It's kind of like comparing, you know, um, when you're looking at a you know maybe a protein powder as an example. You want to understand like how many grams of protein are delivered yeah. per serving. It's kind of the the same type of same type of uh, there's a lot of parallels there. Um, and then the last the last thing I would say is um, the treatment area right? Um, matters as well. So wavelengths, power, power delivery, and then treatment area. And, you know, we, we kind of fundamentally believe as a company that, that full body light therapy, um, is, is optimal for overall health. And so we've designed our devices to be modular in nature. So you can start with a smaller one and then add to it over time to create a full body, uh, a full body system. Um, but we, we kind of think that, um, you know, the more, um, the more tissue you can, you can irradiate or expose to these healthy wavelengths of light, the better, and we're continuing to showcase that in clinical literature because there's, you know, um, in full in full transparency, there's not a lot of published literature around full body light therapy yet. Um, and so um, we're co- we're continuing to sponsor more and more studies that sh- that showcase um, these types of um, health benefits when it comes to full body light therapy. But I would say that's the other thing to keep in mind is like, you know, when you're looking at a device, you know, are 
targeted light therapy can work, you know, but it's also got its limitations if you want to treat broader surface areas. So that's probably the third, the third yeah. thing I'd, I'd probably call out. Great. So with the the jewels, my understanding is that's the like the the power emitted from the device over a certain period of time. So that's how much like energy that spot accumulates. Would that be correct? So does that mean? That, yep. My question is, there's a time limit or an ideal time um, duration that you should be exposed to. Yeah, and it it all kind of depends on on the power that's delivered from the device. So a higher yeah. powered device like ours um, will will produce a higher amount of joules in a shorter amount of time. Um, um, and so with an underpowered device, um, you know, something that, that produces lower power, that's not to say that the, those, those won't work, um, at, that I'm not saying that it's just to receive the, a clinically relevant dose of energy, you're just going to have to use it for a longer period of time. And that, that's kind of why we, we sort of, um, um, de- design our devices the way, the way we have is that we, we think, you know, ultimately compliance is pretty important. You know, people should be using these types of devices on a consistent basis, and if they if they have to use them for you know really prolonged periods of time, highly likely that that most people won't won't stick with it over, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, um, for any any sort of con, you know on any sort of consistent basis. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, this is you know our 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 devices are LED based, so it's not like you're you know producing like you know, um, um, it, it's it's not comparable to like a, a laser as an example. Um, so it's not like the the you know, the, the power is going, you know, the, the power is so, so high that it's going to produce a, a bunch of heat, um, per se, but it is, um, it, they are demonstrably higher than most, uh, most devices that are available, um, you know, for, for, uh, for in-home use. Okay. So 10, 20 minutes, what's the general suggested time? Yeah. With our devices, we, we recommend about, about a 10 minute treatment per area. And so if you're using a full body system, you know, you can, you know, treat your entire body in about 10 minutes. Um, if, if you're interested in a full body application and you're using a smaller device, you know, it's, you're going to have to probably do multiple treatments, but generally speaking with our devices about a, about a 10, a 10 minute treatment session is ideal. And the distance you stand, uh, I understand makes a difference. And it's not just a sort of a, a linear, the further away it's, you know, say half, if you're 10 centimeters then you versus say 30, um, it, there's a real drop off is there. What's the sort of, practical and ideal distance to stand from or to position these from you yeah and that, that's a really good point nathan um some some people can can sort of be um can get this idea that like if i if i if i stand further back right so if i'm using a smaller device and i stand maybe two to three feet back i can still treat my whole body because you know it, it kind of appears that way you know in in um in certain images and the reality is that that's just not true um when you when you actually like we 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 have a, a um, our devices are all um, supported by th- by independent third party testing, and when you actually look at diagnostics um, uh, with with light therapy devices, the 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 power that's delivered to a um, to a tissue type it falls off dramatically um, at about you know twelve to eighteen inches or so away, and so it's not it's not linear. It's not like you know if I if the normal treatment distance is twelve inches. And I stand 24 inches. It's just, I've got to use it for twice as long. That's not the case. Actually, the, mm. the power really, really diminishes um, at about uh, 12 to 18 inches away. And so um, we, with our devices, we generally recommend, um, um, you know, getting, getting pretty close uh, to, the, to, the, to the device, you know, anywhere from three to six inches or so, something like that. Um, some people, you know, 
will lay right on our on our devices. I would say that's not right. probably the most <laughs> the most comfortable um, way way to use it. But yeah, generally speaking, we uh, with our with our products, um, and and this is where you know we we support these you know these kind of statements with with independent third third party testing. But generally speaking, it's it's about ten minutes per treatment area at about three to six inches away from the device. Okay, a couple more. Thanks for your time. Um, uh, eye health glasses, no glasses. So we've got the infrared and red light. Is that yeah. good or bad for our, our eyes? Yeah, no. That, that's another. That's another really common question that comes up. Because um, because for some for some reason, um, you know, there's there's sort of this um, this myth that you need to wear eye protection when it comes to light therapy. And I think maybe and, and and don't quote me on this. This is just kind of an opinion. I think some of that may be because um, it's either mis- misinformation or miseducation or um, that, that sort of is, is, as as be, because you'd often need to wear eye protection when using laser devices, you, you, you know, right. that, that same concept holds true with, with, uh, with red and near infrared light that's delivered from an led based device. And that's just not true. In fact, um, any high quality light therapy device will have, will have, um, you know, IEC testing done, IEC safety testing, one of which, one of those safety tests is a photobiological safety testing, which basically says this device is, is, is okay, you know, for use, uh, um, you know, for, for sort of, eye, you know, when exposed to, to your eyes. And so not only does the, the safety testing, um, hold true that, it, that they're, that they're safe, I would argue that it's actually beneficial for your eyes. In fact, the research suggests that, um, even, even with, you know, certain conditions like macular degeneration, um, a lot of patients have have received um, really positive benefits um, when uh, when their eyes are exposed to these healthy wavelengths of light. So, anyway, at a I guess that's kind of a long winded answer to say uh, no, you don't need eye, eye eye protection at least with our devices. And actually, it's it's probably beneficial for for your eyes to to receive these these types of uh, wavelengths. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. All right, and so finally, tell us about the Juve, the products, the range. Um, I understand they're like modular, so you can build up. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of touched on this already, but our our devices are are modular, so kind of like Lego blocks. You know, um, you can start with a, with a smaller one, and then add add to it um, over time, and so they they connect together physically and electronically. So one device then controls the whole system. Um, and, and our, you know, we have a, you know, a, our, our smallest modular device is kind of like the, about the a footprint of a laptop, you know, we'll, we'll treat, you know, most of your face and maybe neck, um, area, um, just to help put that in perspective. And then, um, our largest configuration is, you know, called the Juvelite, which is, you know, about six feet tall and, you know, two and a half feet wide. And so, you know, pretty much a full body treatment for, for most people. And so, um, Again, the, kind of the unique thing about those devices is is there is is kind of that, that modular that modular design, so you can kind of start small and go big over time, um, and then all of them um, um, in, uh, allow you to choose uh, red, um, allow you to choose between red, near infrared light, or have both both wavelengths delivered at the same time. I would say the overwhelming majority of our of our customers use both wavelengths of light at the same time. And again, the only difference between the two is really depth of penetration. The mechanisms of action appear to be very similar between the two. It's really just, you know, near infrared light um, has a unique ability to kind of uh, penetrate deeper into our bodies. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of our, our devices at, 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 at a high level. And of course, um, the 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 smaller the device, the less expensive it is, um, the larger kind of systems are are, um, um, are more expensive too. And you guys are quite passionate about education as well. What have you got to offer there? Yeah, yeah, it's one of the things that we've kind of, uh, you know, we not only have we allocated a lot of resources towards uh, from the from you know the conception 
of of Juve, but we to this day continue to to allocate a fair amount of resources um, towards you know trying to educate people around the published science of light therapy. In other words, trying to make it easily digestible um, for most people that don't want to spend you know hours <laughs> like you, Nathan, searching <laughs> searching through through PubMed. And so there's a lot of really good um, educational articles that are all well sourced on our on our website. You know, if you go to the the learn page, um, you'll you'll find those listed there. Um, but then, in addition, we're, we continue to fund, you know, clinical clinical studies. We're, we're highly uh, interested in, in, and have a vested uh, vested interest in um, in funding additional clinical studies um, around some of these more emerging, you know, health categories, whether it's you know mental health or uh, sleep, uh, which we haven't we didn't really touch on um, to you know, other learning, learning more about other uh, mitochondrial mechanisms at, that may be at play as well. Um, so yeah, so we will, uh, we continue to, to fund more, uh, more and more clinical studies. And you'll, you'll, you can find a link to, to, to learn more about the studies that we're, um, we're sponsoring um, by visiting our, our website as well. Perfect. Well, yeah, we'll put the links and um, I'll put the links to some of these uh, studies we went through today. Scott, I've been, yeah, really impressed with your knowledge and also, you know, you're not making huge bold claims about your devices, but um, you're certainly excited and doing the research. I'm grateful you've uh, provided the education and certainly uh, also really impressed with the, the quality control. It sounds like that you guys put your devices under, which I think is really, really critical. So, um, yeah, I wish you all the best with your endeavors and I look forward to seeing some more of your work published. Thank you for your time. Yeah, no, thanks, Nathan, for having me on. I always enjoy, enjoy uh, you know, um, talking about light therapy and trying to raise more awareness for its, uh, its potential benefits. Thank you for listening to the Metagenics Clinical Podcast. Find us on iTunes and leave a review. Join our practitioner-only Metagenics Facebook group to be informed of new podcast releases, keep up to date with key industry updates and more. Visit metagenics.com.au to find useful links and resources relating to this podcast and sign up for our e-newsletter.